Welcome. Good morning. It's dark. So tonight I'll say good night. Yeah. So the only announcement is your pastor won't be here, nor his family, next two weeks. We have a call to worship. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing hymn 151, 151.
Let us pray. We thank you, God Almighty, and bless your holy name and your glorious providence. And when we are able to meet on this, your Lord's Day, God, that we may glorify you and hear your word and be blessed by you as you promised in your word. Help us to that end, Lord God Almighty, to continue to trust in Jesus Christ and to put our focus upon you today. In your name we pray, as you taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be. seated. We have the reading of side the bulletin. Psalm 69, the first 13 verses. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I am weary with my crying, my throat is dry, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. Oh God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. I also made sackcloth my garment, I became a byword to them. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy. Hear me in the truth of your salvation. And part of this, we know, refers uh, to Christ. I have become estranged to my brothers and aliens to my mother's children because the zeal of your house has eaten me up. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen upon me. That's exactly what happened. It happened to David. It happens to us, as it were, in a smaller form, mini form, but to Jesus Christ, he was our Lord and is our Lord. And they heaped much uh, hate upon him, and they will heap, heap hate 
upon his followers, and yet we can still trust in him and put our concerns before him. Let us pray. And so, God Almighty, we thank you for this psalm and its encouragement that we can cry out to you and you will answer our prayers. Of course, Lord, we know and we should trust that you answer it the way it needs to be answered in its time and its manner. Our Lord God, but you've done often, Lord, for our good. And thus we thank you and praise you for your providence. We have food. That has been a prayer at times. We have a job that has been a prayer as well, a shelter and a family and friends and everything else, God. And your good providence in which you have reigned upon the unjust as well. And we know this long-suffering God through your providence and the blessings heaped upon uh, the wicked sinners who want nothing to do with you, Lord, is to draw them to repentance, and barring that, God, to heap coals upon their conscience. Help us, God, to rejoice in your good providence towards us and the many things you've blessed us with, Lord, with food, family, shelter, and everything else, God, above. How your Spirit guides things for your glory and for our good. May we rest in that, Lord, and be strengthened in that confidence. We do lift up our sins and violations of your word and thought and in word and deed. We're being unhelpful and difficult, perhaps, at times, or forgetting about your goodness and your providence. And other sins, Lord, perhaps we've run across, tripped upon, or attracted towards. Help us, God, to hate our sins, to fight against them, to use the means that you've given us, the tools, and one another in prayer, in your word, and trust in you. May we live a life of repentance, and also a life of faith. We lift up our bodily concerns before you, God Almighty, as some of us have ailments upon our body. We have to go see a doctor and, and get images done for the baby to be, Lord, that you would uh, protect the child, protect us and our bodies, Lord. Continue to give us, in your wonderful providence, access to good doctors and, and good help and good aid as well, Lord, that we would persevere in our diet and exercise and what we need, Lord. We are weak in many ways, and it can be difficult more so for some of us than others. Help us to that, to that end, to encourage one another, to help one another, to strengthen one another for our bodily concerns, as well as especially for the concerns of our souls. We lift up our efforts as the Orthodox Presbyterian Church for foreign missions to bring the gospel outside the country we find ourselves in, Lord Almighty, and that you would help us to be wise in these endeavors as we deal with different cultures and different ways of thinking and expectations, Lord unspoken assumptions and the like to raise up, as we've done historically, as a pattern of ours, indigenous churches, in which the leaders come from among the people and understand them and can deal with them and they would respect them more than us in many ways, God, and that these churches would be protected and strengthened, we ask. Help us to that end to be wise as a committee at the General Assembly level, as well as the presbyteries and local churches who are able and have given to various and sundry efforts of foreign missions. We pray, God, for the efforts in Japan, for Murray Yamoto, and that we have supported God, and for Middle East Reformed Church, Lord Almighty, that you continue to be with them in their endeavors, and that they would not be discouraged, God, and they would at the same time be level-headed and uh, wide-eyed and aware, Lord, of their limitations in some areas, and perhaps that means to go to something else and other efforts and other opportunities, Lord God Almighty. Help us, we pray to that end, Lord, to submit to your will and to know there's times and places in which we have to close shop, as it were, uh, because you have deigned not to give us fruit 
through our efforts, Lord. May we be humble in that regards and seek out other ways in which we can use the funds, use the men and their families, God, and all the resources that we have for other ends for the kingdom of God. Lord, we lift up the economy before you again. We pray particularly for more jobs that can provide for families and not just be bottom of the economic ladder jobs, Lord. We pray, God, against inflation, certainly. And, uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us, we pray, and you would work again somehow in your providence so that the economy would not get worse for us and split and divide families because it costs so much to live in one place or another. Precious Lord, may we trust in you no matter what to do what we can to use the means you've given us and to be wise with our money and finances, Lord, with our time to find, we pray, good contacts and better jobs, better working hours and better working conditions if possible. And to that end, Lord, we trust in you and ask that you, we would be properly motivated to work to those ends, knowing that you work all things for the good of those who love you. We pray, God, and ask that you would be with us on this Lord's Day for the rest of our body, for the comfort therein, Lord, that we would not do any more work than we need to, and especially for our soul to focus and feed upon Christ Jesus our Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Let us rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Gracious God, indeed, we praise you and magnify your name, not just on this day, but throughout the week as we have opportunity. Thankful, Lord, that we can give these tithes and to give these offerings that come ultimately from you. Thankful, Lord, that we can be part uh, of your providence wherein we can bless one another with these funds and help with the building of the kingdom of God by your spirit, we pray. May these things be done accordingly. Amen. While we are standing, let's go ahead and sing Psalm 118b. 118b. Oh, it's a left to right again. First four verses.
seated. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118. And a variation of this in verse 4. And what is that day? Um, some of the older commentators believe it is the day of Christ's resurrection, because that's the day in which it is fully declared who he is, and he had triumphed over sin and death, although his whole life was to that end, and worked to that end, and was efficacious to that end. We focus especially on the resurrection as the completion of his triumph over sin and Satan. And thus it was fulfilled, Psalm 118, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us go to uh, the Ten Commandments. Before I jump into the sermon, because that topic is right there in the sermon. Ten Commandments, we all know where this is. Let us read it together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now let us turn to Mark chapter 2. Verses 23 to 28. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. 
Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Let us pray. With these words of exhortation, God, wherein Christ uses this opportunity to remind his naysayers and to remind us that he had given us the day of rest for man and did not create man for the day of rest. And so, Lord, he also is, as the Son of Man, Lord of the Sabbath, and expositing, applying it, and defending his people with the day of rest. Help us, God, to trust and continue to rest in him, both bodily and in soul. In your name we pray. Amen. Here we have an interesting exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees. One of many, as we know, that will continue on through the book of Mark. We already read in the prior verses the disagreements the Jewish leaders had with Jesus on a few occasions. In this case, the ante is raised. It's more serious in many ways. For the violation of the Old Testament Sabbath could involve the death penalty. Thus, the Pharisees' question is a weighty question to the original readers of Mark who understand the Jewish ways of doing things and the Old Testament ways of doing things. The two, of course, are intermingled, and we'll talk about that as well. They may be giving him, perhaps, an opportunity here to reprimand his followers and thus avoid such punishment. This exchange is also interesting because it involves the Jewish tradition, as I pointed out, intertwined with the Old Testament that we are not familiar with. Their approach to the Sabbath, that is the seventh day or the last day of the week, we would say today, uh, or our Saturday, our Saturday today. It was evolving. Their approach to the Old Testament Sabbath was evolving and changing in real time during this time period. And it was finally written down about 100 years after Jesus. So I'll take some time explaining the cultural issues surrounding this text before applying it to us in the here and now, because it does have application. Verses 23 to 24, the Sabbath and the Jews, the Sabbath and the Jews, now happened that he went to the grain fields, and his disciples were there, of course, we read, and they began to pluck the heads of the grain, not just to have fun, because they were eating them. They were hungry, and they needed food, and so they grabbed some while they were in the fields, and the Pharisee says, look what they're doing. They're talking to Jesus because he's the rabbi. He's the leader. Look what your followers are doing. and What they're doing is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, the Old Testament Sabbath, before I get into uh, the Jewish way of doing things, the Old Testament Sabbath started in Genesis chapter 2, as we know. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his works, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which he had created and made. The Sabbath is a creational ordinance, we say. It was given to mankind before the fall, which is highly significant, because it means sin doesn't annul it. It's not a law coming after 
the fall to mitigate sin. You have that in the case of the Mosaic Law, where he allowed a looser form of divorce, for example. And Christ talks about that very clearly, because the hardness of your heart, because of sin. And God is compassionate, as it were, in a real way, and so he gave them some adjustments in the law to deal with that. The Sabbath predates sin. Like marriage, predates sin. And work, labor, it is part and parcel of the environment mankind was created and expected to continue in. And the day, that seventh day of creation, wherein God rested, we know, doesn't mean that God was all exhausted. Ah, just wiped out. The fact that he highlights and emphasizes that God rested on that day means God's doing something special, and not for his own sake, but for our sake, for the Jews' sake in this context of the Old Testament Sabbath. And the Jews understood that, and they took it seriously. Exodus 20, verse 8, picks up again, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. It's a day of rest. If God's going to rest, who do you think you are working on the day God's resting? Are you better than God? That's the moral connection here. Again, God doesn't need rest, so what's the point? The point's for us. The Jews got that point. And it says, remember the Sabbath, because it was already known before the giving of the law. We see that actually in there, in Exodus, in which some people were punished. Before the giving of the law, working on the Sabbath. So it was a known institution at the time. It wasn't just out of the blue. The Jews took it very seriously. In it, It continues in the Decalogue. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. And if you didn't get, the audience didn't get it right the first time. The Jews didn't get the point. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be a stranger that is a non-Jew. They will not violate God's law on the Lord's Day. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. He worked. And we're supposed to follow the parallel pattern of God and rest at the seventh day. You work six days. You must rest the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He made it special. He made it unique. Another way of looking at it is God made every day, didn't he? I mean, the days exist because of God. And so from that broad perspective, he's the Lord of everything already. He's the, every day is God's day in that sense. He's the ownership. He's the creator and therefore the owner of days and times and space Numbers, you and I, animals, everything in creation. He's the Lord of, and yet there's one day that's specifically his day. Isn't that interesting? That, that highlights, again, something special about it before the fall. God's putting a stamp on it saying, no, no, pay attention to this day. Yeah, I own them all, but especially this day for a reason. And we see it's the day of rest and the day of worship. Now, other rules were given at the time of Moses. Exodus 23.10, Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. So he's reiterating again that this day is a day of rest, not just for you people who are rich, but your workers and servants and even your dumb animals. Exodus 31.12, Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is a Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord, whoever does any work on the Sabbath, he shall surely be put to death. 
Exodus 34:21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. There's no excuse, he's saying. And we know that God, uh, as he does often with Israel, worked at such in his providence that they would have enough grain and food for that rest day. He did it in the desert, as you recall, and uh, people were greedy to that end, took too much of it or didn't have enough. If you remember those stories. And there in Exodus 34, 21, he's saying, don't use plowing and harvest and being a farmer an excuse. I will take care of it. Now, the Jews, we call it a Jewish Sabbath. So you have the Sabbath before the fall. Adam knew about it, so apparently by word of mouth, his posterity learned about it and held on to it to some extent. Until the time of Moses, we see it enacted before the giving of the Decalogue, dealt with. And then at the Decalogue, it's formalized. And then elsewhere in Exodus, it's expounded upon and more details are given. Presumably, I would think, it seems to me, uh, details that perhaps were lost and or not enacted before the time of Moses, such as the death penalty. So, that's the Sabbath. Then the Jews come along, it's their Sabbath. In fact, it's everybody's Sabbath because it's before the fall. (laughs) And they're privileged to have this and to be given more understanding of what to do on this Sabbath day. And they have their rules that developed over time through the time of Jesus and beyond. And so we call it today the Jewish Sabbath. I'm not an expert exactly what they do today, uh, but I'm going to go over what they did during the time of Moses, Jesus, roughly that time period. They had, of course, the Old Testament rules, Exodus 23, 31, and 34, and other like rules, and mentioned also in the prophets. And then some. (laughs) They had additional rules. Now, it's a good thing, of course, that servants were given the day off. It shows and reminds us of God's compassion in giving us his law, and here in giving us this particular law for the rest of our bodies. Now, what will arise, of course, in a fallen world, and it's understandable, so I'm not blaming the Jews for this. We have the same thing. Questions of application come up. So now what do you do? What about this situation? What if, what if, what if my ox falls into the ditch? What, are there times I have to work my boss makes me work? Things like that. And the, and the Jews said, okay, over time, they developed a system, originally an oral system, then written down, to deal with the matters of the Lord's Day, and other things as well you're probably aware of, all other kinds of things of the law of God. But it's especially a rigid system that was developing at this time and during the time of Christ. Now, broadly, it ranged from more reasonable application of the Sabbath to more hard cases like the Pharisees. Like I said, it wasn't cemented at the time. It was slightly flex and flux uh, during the time of, of, Moses, of Jesus. The examples we have of this kind of more rigid system that the Pharisees uh, were the forerunners of a rabbinic commentary in Exodus goes so far as to prohibit activities that merely detract from the restfulness of the day. So any minor little thing. In fact, they had about 24 chapters in their book on rules on the Sabbath. And they weren't short chapters. Edersheim says, and not less than 24 chapters, matters are seriously discussed as of vital religious importance, which one would scarcely imagine a sane intellect would seriously entertain. (laughs) His words. A Sabbath burden, for example, 
right? You should carry no burden on the Sabbath, was the weight of a dried fig. Anything beyond that is too much weight to carry around on the Sabbath. It's becoming a burden and therefore a violation of God's law. The weight of a dried fig. We read elsewhere, quote, A person could not wear false teeth on the Sabbath lest they fall out and that person be tempted to pick them up and carry them, which would be a burden because clearly false teeth are heavier than a dried fig. Now, some of the rabbis recognized this. As I said, it was in flux at the time, cemented after Jesus' time. Of the manifold rules that were only tenuously connected to the Bible. There's an old proverb they had, quote, The rules about the Sabbath, festal offerings, and sacrilege are as mountains hanging by a hair, for Scripture is scanty in the rules many. So some of the more wiser, I guess, compassionate rabbis said, this is a lot of garbage. <laughs> so the complaint then, that the disciples were working on the Sabbath, from that background. And they're the hard school, right? Of the developing legalists. The disciples are working on the Sabbath, they're complaining. And now you can see all the more how serious it was to them. They had this kind of mindset. And yet we read in Exodus 34, 21, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and the harvest you shall rest. Uh, perhaps they were thinking they're harvesting, and you shouldn't be harvesting. Deuteronomy 23, 25 we read, however, When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. See, there you have an explicit allowance in the Old Testament, which already had a number of additional laws that we don't follow, so there's a level of strictness there, I grant, under the Mosaic economy that we don't have anymore. And yet even then, God's saying, you go into a standing grain, into a field, your neighbor's field, oh, what's going on here? Oh, they're going through a field. Back then, they didn't have fences like we have today. See, you didn't know where you were unless you happened to see the rocks, you know, the mounting and the markers of the land somewhere. But even then, you had to travel, and they traveled, and that's what they would do. And you pluck it with your hands, and, you, and the implication, of course, in Deuteronomy is, and you're eating it, because you're not just plucking it to waste it and have fun. You're eating it. It's okay. The Pharisees didn't go after that text. <laughs> they went after the other text, apparently. Plowing and harvesting, you shouldn't do, but you should rest instead. You're violating God's law. And thus, it's a serious accusation, because it could involve the death penalty. Now, what's interesting, of course, is that Jesus does not quote Deuteronomy 23. You may pluck the heads with your hand. He obviously could have. He's the Son of God. He knew the Bible. He didn't quote that Bible passage. He uses a different tact, a different method, one that highlights his role as Messiah. That's what he wants to do. He wants to teach them and teach anyone else who's listening who he is, because that's what he came here to do, to do and to explain and to, and to preach. The second point, the Sabbath and Christ. So now we understand the historical background, the additions that were added to the Sabbath, hence we call it the Jewish Sabbath. And today I've heard, had a hard time verifying this, that uh, what they would do, maybe it was 50 years ago, maybe they do it today, you can't light a fire on the Sabbath. 
but you can hire your neighbor who's not a Jew to do it for you. Now, I couldn't find that during that time because like, I'm not going to read through 24 chapters. Sorry. Um, but yeah, some people are not in your head. They've heard that same thing today. And of course, our good answer is if you take it seriously, what does God's law say? The means causes occasion and provocations they're unto. End of story. But anyways, second point, Sabbath and Christ. Verses 25 to 26. But, so here's Christ responding to them. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? Don't you know your Bible? Remember he did that in John 3, Nicodemus? You're a leader in Israel. You don't know about being born again. You don't have to have the New Testament to know about being born again. It's in the Old Testament. And here we have a similar kind of rebuttal by Christ. A rhetorical question. Have you never read? Of course they've read. And so he is berating them. He goes to an Old Testament precedent with David and the showbread. He was chiding them. And he chose David because they respected him. And as we know, David, especially as king, is what? A type of Christ. The situation back then in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, David and the soldiers were hungry. That's emphasized by Christ right here. When he was in need and hungry, he ate forbidden food. And he gave it to the soldiers as well. Because the showbread was for the priests only to handle. It was in the tabernacle, that is the tent or the temple, eventually. A sign of God's presence and his provision for his people. Like everything else, it was to be handled by the priests only. It was therefore what holy or special or unique set aside. And that under certain conditions. They couldn't just mess with it whenever they felt like it. To illustrate, the point was to illustrate the holiness of God both to his being and to his morality. That God as the creator that is his being is infinitely greater than us. It should not be treated as though he were something common like the rest of us and things in this creation. And of course he's morally upright and can therefore does not abide sin and moral contamination. So both ideas are intertwined in the holiness laws of the Old Testament, including the priesthood and the showbread and everything else. The entire ceremonial system from foods eaten, which would include beyond the priest, even to the typical Jew, to clothes worn, and of course the priest sacrifices in the temple, all had that lesson of holiness. Holiness unto the Lord was the one big lesson. The Sabbath was a holy day, and therefore what? Associated with the temple work, and the priests, and everything else, and worship. There was a doubling of the sacrifices on that day, right? The morning and evening sacrifices, because it was a special day. And so Christ's argument with the showbread is an argument about the Sabbath as well, although there's no mention of the Sabbath there in 1 Samuel. He's arguing by the moral connection. It's a holy thing. The showbread's a holy thing. Let me explain to you the meaning of this. Now, some of this is more explicit in Matthew chapter 12, a parallel passage. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, it has an additional word spoken that can help clarify Christ's argument and point. Christ, you'll see in the Gospels, and hopefully you've seen it already in Mark, when he gives his arguments are tightly constructed reasonings to his audience. We read here in verse 5, Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? There it's explicit. 
He's saying, look, you're talking about your understanding of the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath. Here's the priest working on the Sabbath. What do you do with that? Yet I say to you that in this place there's one greater than the temple. But if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And so there he unpacks some more details. That is, Matthew gives us more details than Luke does. And I hope it makes the point more clearer to you that the Pharisees are being too harsh, what we call pharisaical or legalistic, straining at what? Gnats and swallowing camels. This is a funny picture, but the point is they're straining at the the wrong thing. Who cares about a gnat? Who cares about your dried fig? And they were using it to be add burdens. We read elsewhere by Christ, right, that the people weren't meant to carry it. That's a burden, isn't it? See this? My Bible, right? Or my Bible right here. And this is the Psalms and hymns. I think this is heavier than a dried fig. They were adding burdens. And that's why he gives a simple proverbial rebuttal, because it's more like a proverb. That is a simple way of speaking without all the caveats, right? all the explanations and details. Just boom, here it is. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We are not to conform to the Sabbath that way, as though that we're created to fit in this space. Rather, it was given to us as a space to rest and relax in for us, for our good. And that brings us to Christ's further argument, verses 27 to 28, in the connection to David. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath, Jesus points to David, as we saw, it's something holy. The showbread's holy. The Sabbath day is holy. Yet it was not sin for the priest, as we read in Matthew, nor David, to eat of the showbread. Because the holy things were given to help and to instruct, not to constrict. The Sabbath was holy, and it was given to help and to instruct, not to constrict. The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. There are limits, in other words, to following the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. The Pharisees took the ceremonial law to be equal to the moral law in substance. when it was going to pass away and fade away. And even in the Old Testament, there were allowances and understandings that there are limits to what the ceremonial law can do to restrict you in fulfilling other parts of the commandment, like preserving life. See that? When the two commandments clash, that is the ceremonial commandment, which is the second, third commandments, application thereof, it gives way. The ceremonial, again, more precisely, it doesn't give way to what? Cursing in God's name, not believing in God and following uh, false gods, not worshiping God. That's not what, these are the outward forms. The ceremonies are the outward forms. They give way. Adam, another way to look at it, using the same perspective of the Sabbath on the seventh day and God resting. God doesn't need to rest. He's teaching us something. God is also teaching us something that Adam and Eve were created on what day? The sixth, before the Sabbath. They were created not for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for them. 
The man was not to be a slave to the Sabbath, so that he would starve just to avoid violating the Sabbath. The ceremonial laws, such as the Lord's Supper today, can be violated, air quotes, if the proper need arises. That's why if there's a blizzard, our church is not going to require you to come to church. The session won't say, you know, the Bible tells you to sanctify the Lord's Day. Why aren't you here? Why aren't you risking life and limb? Don't you love Jesus? I could make that argument. See how holy that sounds and pious? You're like, dude, I don't think I'm that pious. There's a limit. There's a limit. They're fulfilling the ceremonial law. We have ceremonies today. The Lord's Supper and the Sabbath is part of it. The Lord's Day is what we call it today. And God understands that. You can worship Him at home. You can still worship in your heart, even if you can't see or speak. Right? We forget that sometimes, I think. And that's the point of Jesus. The Pharisee says, God commands it, go do it. What are you doing with the labor and working on the Lord's Day? Look, he's being chased. David was, you recall back then. And he, he needs food for his men. They're hungry. They got the showbread. And they ate. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, Christ quotes in Matthew. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. More than burnt offerings. Because the burnt offerings, again, are what the ceremonial or the outward forms that change and will go away. I mean, in heaven, there's no more Lord's Supper or baptism. There's no longer a special day called the Lord's Day. Every day is the Lord's Day. (laughs) Thus, the the Sabbath was made to fit man's situation in life, not the other way around. God is merciful, and he loves his people. And he gives us what we need, whereas the harsh legalism of the Pharisees was a taskmaster. Now, if you notice here that Jesus did not remove the Sabbath as a creation ordinance, he was removing the Jewish accoutrements upon it. He didn't cut off the leaders at the knee by saying, well, you know, there's no longer a Sabbath anymore, like there's no no longer going to be a temple anymore. We read in Matthew 18, the parallel passage says, there's no longer, I'm the temple. (laughs) I'm greater than the temple. The Sabbath, the argument here is there is a Sabbath. In fact, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the conclusion of the incident. And so we still believe in the fourth commandment, although we don't call it the Sabbath anymore, to make it clear it's no longer the Old Testament form of it. But the day has changed, but the ratio is still the same. Six days we labor, and the seventh day we rest. Because it's a creation ordinance. It's always going to be there until heaven. But that's another sermon. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He's asserting as his Messiahship that he is also a Lord, not just a Savior. We've heard this before and seen evidence of this in Mark. It's his Lordship, his heavenly authority to guide and teach his people and to protect them from lies and additions to the word, which he runs across the Pharisees, of course. And it fits the theme of Mark so far. In chapter 2, verse 10, so a few verses earlier, he says, but that you may know I healed this way, the man coming through the roof, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He has a purpose. And my 
disciples, to make a parallel argument here by his actions, I let them eat so that you may know that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. God has a purpose. Christ has a purpose in all that he does. The title Son of Man is one of the titles that points to his Messiahship, something unique about him. He's not just another prophet like John the Baptizer. It's a title used in the book of Daniel, for example. And Mark uses it in his epistle, his gospel here, several times to emphasize Christ's divine mission. And not only one who is a man, but the man with a mission to save God's people with power from on high. He's unique. And he's Lord. This Lordship of Jesus was believed in the New Testament era, where we read in Revelation 1.10 how John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Well, that's an odd way of speaking about a random day throughout the week. Oh, because it's not a random day, is it? Isn't God Lord of every day? What's he picking on with this one day? Oh, that's Sunday, what we call Sunday today. And I know historically we have a weird way, and this is our culture. It's part of our history where Sunday came from and Wooden's Day came from, right? Thor's Day and all that. That's just what we have in our language. We don't really believe that they're pagan days at all. It's the Lord's Day. Today is the Lord's Day, just like with John. His lordship was continued throughout the New Testament, even to the giving of a day. As God rested on the Sabbath of the Old Testament, and so now he rests on the Lord's Day and triumphs over sin and death of a new creation instead of the old creation. The prophet from this doctrine of Christ as Lord of the Sabbath is first to remember that Christ is our Lord and to believe it and to apply it, that he guides and protects us. He protects our conscience and his word from such additions to the word of God as the Pharisees brought. That burden that they said wasn't a burden actually is a burden. (laughs) From man-made additions to his worship. And he is Lord of this day, the Lord's day. And therefore, it's a day for us, not us for the day. A day of rest to make a reasonable effort, not the legalism of the Pharisees. I don't think there's ever been legalism in the Presbyterian tradition uh, of the OPC. Although people not used to this will call it legalism because they don't understand it. But I don't think we've run across, I've never run across people being, churches being, the leadership being especially nitpicky on these things. To worship Christ on this day, he chose to rise from the dead. He could have chosen another day to rise from the dead. To rest our bodies, as God clearly wanted us to do. And when we rest, to always continue to rest in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Help us, God Almighty, to find rest and comfort in Jesus Christ and the things that he has given us, including the day that is his day and not ours. In your name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing 152.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.